If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. Concerning a prophet and a prostitute, it's one of the Bible's most unlikely love stories. But it paints a beautiful picture of God's unfailing love. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to Hosea chapter 11 for this vivid reminder of the rock-solid reassurance you can find in God's boundless love. Listen now as David introduces the conclusion of his message, God's Love Never Quits. Well, if there's ever been an illustration of love that had every right to quit, it's the the story in Hosea. You read this story and you keep scratching your head and thinking, how could that be? How could someone love a person like that? And then you stop and realize, oh, wait a minute. God loved me. He loved me in spite of myself, not because of anything I've done for him. His love is unbelievably loyal and faithful. His love never quits. We'll get back to Jose in just a moment, but first let me remind you that uh, uh, this July we'll be going together with a whole lot of folks to Alaska. July 15th through the 22nd is our annual conference cruise to Alaska. We've been there well over 30 times. We keep going back, and something I look forward to every year. We had to miss a, a couple of years because of COVID, and it was like somebody cut a part of our heart out. <laughs> now, we're back, and we're, we're taking a lot of folks with us. We have some wonderful guests who are going to be with us this year. We'll tell you about them shortly. But you need to get your reservation in. Uh, this cruise takes place uh, in July, the 15th through the 22nd. It's a beautiful time because... It's not real hot there yet, and it's not real cold still, so it's kind of the perfect time to enjoy Alaska. I hope you'll come with us. Go to our website and find out all the details and get registered and plan to join us. Today, um, we're going to finish up what we started yesterday about the unquitting love of God, the loyal love of Almighty God towards us. It's the only love relationship you will ever have where You will never be disappointed in any way by the one who is loving you. And uh, we'll find out more about that today as we open our Bibles to Hosea chapter 11, part 2. Love never quits if it's the love of God. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. God said to Hosea, I want you to love her. With extraordinary emphasis, he repeats it. Love her even though she's an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, even though they commit adultery too by their devotion to idols. So the heartbreak and the trauma of this torturous marriage becomes the kind of dramatized prophecy from Hosea. And even though Israel didn't respond to Hosea's message and God had allowed the covenant curses to run their course, God wanted Hosea to say to his people, hard as this is to believe, I haven't given up on you. I'm not finished with you. In fact, 
after you experience some of the things that come as the result of your sin, there's going to be a day in the future when we'll get back together. Listen to these words from Hosea 2. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband. In that day, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. What kind of love endures the unfaithfulness of a covenant partner and yet remains loyal forever? It's God love. That's what it is. It's the kind of loyal love that God extended to Israel in spite of her disloyalty. The story of that love is told by Hosea in the 11th chapter of his prophecy. So turn over there. This is, in my estimation, one of the great chapters of the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 11. The story of love that is told by Hosea is an interesting story that comes in several sections. The first part of Hosea 11 tells us about the commitment of God's love for his people. Just look down at the text. It says, first of all, that he loved Israel like a father loves a son. Notice verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son, and I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms. Now what this is referenced to is when Israel was in slavery in Egypt. Remember, they were slaves to the Egyptians for over 400 years, and then the Exodus came. God raised up Moses And Moses came and said, let my people go. And God, after a period of time, led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And the Bible says it was like they were a little child and like he was leading them like a little son away from the danger of the Egyptians. That he watched over them like a father watches over a son. It actually says that he taught them to walk as a nation and he carried them in his arms like a father would carry a child. If you go back and study that period in history, you'll see that's exactly what happened. God loved Israel like a father loved a son. And secondly, he loved them as a husband loves his wife. Notice verse 4. I drew them with gentle cords and with bands of love. Hosea knew what this was all about because that's exactly what he had done for Gomer. When she would fail and be disloyal and adulterous, he would still go get her and coax her back and bring her back into the arms of his love. He loved as a father and as a husband. And then it says he loved as a shepherd. Verse 4 says, I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped down and I fed them. And I believe this is in reference to what God did for the people of Israel when they were in the wilderness. Remember? Do you know why they were in the wilderness? Because if they'd gone straight out of Egypt, they'd have been right in the military zone of all of the toughest people in Canaan. And they wouldn't have lasted because they were not prepared militarily. So God took them around these nations, but it involved them being in the wilderness for many years. And how many of you know no food grows in the wilderness? So God had this convenient little thing. He worked out for them. Every day they'd walk out and outside of their tent would be the food for the day. Manna and quail. And I've often laughed because the word manna means, what is it? So every morning they'd walk outside of their tent and God would drop down the food from heaven And they would walk out and say, oh, what is it? (laughs) Have you ever said that to your wife when she puts it on the table? I wouldn't suggest it. (laughs) The Bible says that God so loved his people, Israel, that he brought them out like a father with a child. He embraced them as a husband with his wife. And then like a shepherd, he just led them through and cared for all of their needs. These are in 
endearing words. And these words are basically a soliloquy from God. Do you know what I mean by that? This is God speaking to no one in person, but to all of us together. The 11th chapter is God's soliloquy on his love for Israel and for us. He's laying the foundation. He's saying, I want you to know, first of all, how much I loved Israel. The commitment of God's love. Now notice the contempt for God's love. It says in verse 2, and they called them, and they went from them, and they sacrificed to Baals, and they burned incense to carved images. Verse 3, and they did not even know that I was the one who had healed them. They didn't even know what I had done for them. And verse 7 says, my people are bent on backsliding from me, though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. God said, my people that I have loved as a father, as a husband, as a shepherd, my people are bent on backsliding from me, and they don't even have any clue what it is that I have done for them. How many of you know, as God's people, it's real easy for us to get what God has done for us out of whack. We are so blessed. Sometimes we complain, and I feel like when we do that, we really shouldn't because our worst day is better than the best day most people have around the world. The people of Israel did not know what God had done, or at least they had pushed it into the background, and they kept violating everything they knew that was dear to God's heart. This interchange between God's commitment to Israel and Israel's contempt for God is referenced through the whole book of Hosea, and it is focused especially here in the 11th chapter. In fact, here in the 11th chapter, commitment and contempt ride together in the same verse. When you understand the continued love that God had for his people, it is hard to understand their response. And even more so, it's hard to comprehend what God should do. Have you ever played the game, if I were God? If you were God, what would you do? If this people you had loved as a father, as a husband, as a shepherd, and you had cared for them for all these generations, and they kept coming back and doing the same thing, hurting you at the very core of your being, and finally it's hit the tipping point in their abusive behavior in the pre-exilic days, what would you do? Well, it appears in God's soliloquy that he had some thoughts. Verses 5 and 6, he says, But the Assyrian shall be their king, because they refuse to repent, and the swords shall slash in their cities, devour the districts, and consume them because of their own counsels. Actually, the Assyrians did become their king. But what is going on here is that God is responding in a way that we understand. God is saying, For what they have done, here's what they deserve. And one writer has put it this way. What is to be done with these people? There's only one thing to do. By all the laws of human conduct and all the laws of righteousness and equity and justice, give them up. Abandon them. When I see the lover teaching to walk and nursing with tender care and healing, and then I watch these people persistently, positively rebelling, I say there's only one thing to do with them. Give them up. And that would be our response, wouldn't it? if we were God. In fact, on many occasions, it is our response. I mean, let someone violate our love and we shut them down in a hurry. We leave them, we divorce them, we refuse ever to speak to them again. We say they are dead as far as we are concerned. That's the human way. 
<laughs> but that's not God's way. God have every right to do that. They had violated his love and his holiness. But it's apparent as you read this soliloquy in the 11th chapter that God cannot endure the thought of the final judgment of his people. And so we see his compassion in verses 8 and 9. And I have to tell you this. I don't usually get this vulnerable in the pulpit. I have found myself in tears on more than one occasion just reading these verses. Reading them with understanding of what they meant in that moment and what they mean to us today. Here is God so violated by the disloyalty of his people and in every right to obliterate them from the face of the earth. And we read these words. How shall I give you up, Ephraim? How shall I cast you off, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I make thee as Zeboim? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come with terror. In these words of Hosea, there are four questions. How shall I give you up, Ephraim? How shall I give you up, Israel? How shall I make you as Adma and Zeboim? Those two cities were cities on the plains next to Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, God is saying, how can I destroy you like I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? Then comes the great answer from God. My heart is turned within me and my compassions are kindled together. This is amazing. How can you love someone who throws your love back in your face? And yet this is what God is doing. He just will not quit loving his people. And this is the amazing thing because of what God is. He sees us. He sees our possibilities. And in spite of all of our backsliding, in spite of all of our disobedience, in spite of the fact that we have contempt sometimes for his love, we hear him saying, I cannot give you up. I will not. I will not. I will not. I read a sermon that was written on this passage some years ago by a preacher named Roy Clements. He said that he regards the 11th chapter of Hosea as one of the jewels of the Bible. For in it we see portrayed in a remarkable and vivid way what the love of God means to God himself. Here Hosea is bold enough to open for us the mind of God. God's inner thoughts, dare we say, God's feelings. What do we find when we peep through this audacious window? Do we find the stern impartiality of an omniscient judge? Do we find the aloof dignity of an omnipotent sovereign? No, astonishingly, in this passage, the prophet tells us that what we find when we look through the window at the heart of God is a broken heart, the broken heart of a deserted parent. Hosea insists that there is one very fundamental and important way in which God is like us. He loves and loves in a way that we human beings can understand and experience. And because he loves, he feels, he can be hurt and he can suffer. When I was in seminary, in a theological class, they discussed the doctrine of the impassibility of God. Not impossibility, but the impassibility of God. That is a doctrine which basically says God has no emotion. That God's deity demands a dignity that will not let him show emotion. So God is an emotionless God. And I don't know the answer to that because I cannot explain God. 
What I do know is in this passage, we see God suffering. In this passage, we see God hurting. In this passage, we see God churning within in compassion for his people. So we ask the question, does God feel pain? Does God actually suffer when we sin and show contempt for his love? Certainly, it seems to say so here. Some will say, oh, it's just simply God trying to explain himself in terms that we can understand. And maybe that's true. But was not God the one who sent his own son into this world to be one of us, to feel the pain and the suffering? And did he not suffer way beyond anything we can imagine? And he was God in the flesh, suffering for his people. Ian McLaren once said, God is the chief sufferer of the universe. And he suffers not because we have wronged him, but he suffers because he knows that by wronging him, we are wronging ourselves. The commitment of God's love and the contempt of it and the compassion of it, and finally the consummation of it. Verse 9, this is God's decision. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come with terror. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, how can God do this? How can God just not respond to the disobedience of his people? And we ask that question of ourselves, do we not? Sometimes we think if God is God, every time we misbehave, we're going to get judged immediately. But the Bible says, God says, I am not man, I am God. He's the Holy One in the midst of us. And I need you to understand that God's holiness is not diminished when his love is increased. God can love like no other because he is God. He never stops loving. He never quits loving. He never has and he never will. Verse 9 simply tells us that God is God and God is holy so he can do as he will and he can love whom he will no matter what they've done. That's that. Yet there's more. Because we can't leave this passage without some resolution. Here we have God's justice being defied. And here we have God's love being expressed. And remember the passage from 2 Timothy that says God cannot deny himself. That means God, in the midst of all of this, he has to be God first and foremost. He has to be holy and he has to be loving. But when we look at that through our human eyes, we say, how do you make that work? I mean, if they've sinned and they violated your justice, they must be punished. And if you love them, you have to just turn your eyes away from what they've done. Like a doting old grandfather who pats his children on the head and says, just go play, go play. And neither one of those are options for God. When Hosea's parents decided to name him, they gave him a name which is found of two other people in the Bible. One was born before Hosea, and we read about him in Numbers 13, 16. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. The first Hosea in the Bible of importance was Joshua, Hoshea. There was another born after Hosea, and we read about him in Matthew 1, 21. And you shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. On the front cover of Hosea's book is the answer that resolves the conflict. The answer reaches past the book of Hosea all the way past Malachi and into the book of Luke where we find another Hosea, the Yeshua of the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And in Jesus Christ, the justice of God and the love of God come together at the cross so that God can be both just and loving. And in order to do that, he had to send his own son into this world, his perfect son. He had to sacrifice his own son. Listen, here's how it worked. In order for him to be just, all of the sin of the world had to be atoned for. The Bible says the soul that sinneth it shall die. And the sin of the world could only be atoned for through death. And so he sent his son, listen to me, the infinite son of God, to go to the cross and suffer the infinite death that was necessary so that all of our sins could be atoned for and God's justice could be poured out on his son. And there at the cross, with his arms outstretched, he says... If you will come to me and receive what I have done through my son Jesus, I will forgive you of all your sin. I will wash you clean. And now I can show my love to you because the justice issue has been resolved. Every time you think that maybe God's love is just a simple, easy love, just look at the cross. Because the cross standing there in the center of all humanity is a reminder to us of the justice of God poured out upon his son so that God could say to you and to me and to his people, Israel, I love you. I always have and I always will. It's not just that God dismisses your sin, has pity on you and says, I'm not going to make you pay for what you've done. No, God has made his own son pay for what you have done, what I have done. The question is often asked, who nailed Jesus to the cross? Was it the Romans? Was it the Jews? No, it was me. I did it. You did it. It was our sins that nailed him to the cross. And Hosea, the Hoshea, the Yeshua of the Old Testament, points ahead to the Jesus of the New Testament. And through this Jesus, God can say, I will not give them up. I will not. I will not. I will not. Because in the death of Christ, we have the answer to the dilemma. So the John of the New Testament, the Apostle John writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to leave you with these thoughts. No matter what you have done, no matter how far you have fallen away, no matter what you've heard the enemy whisper in your ear, God loves you. He always has, and he always will. Amen. Amen. What a needed message in our world today. I hope it catches you in the right place at the right time. If you're a Christian, reaffirm God's love for you and your love for him. And if you've not yet accepted Christ into your life, what are you waiting for? 
He's waiting with outstretched hands to receive you if you will just come and accept the gift he has offered to you of eternal life through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, tomorrow, believe it or not, we're going to start two days of discussion on the very verse that you heard me quote just a moment ago, John 3.16. The most um, familiar verse in all the Bible, the most crystallized definition of the gospel, perhaps, in the Bible, the one verse that most people know by heart. What does it mean? We're going to take it apart and put it together in these next two days. I hope you'll join us then. And don't forget to ask for your copy of the book, Heaven Rules, by Nancy DeMoss-Wolgamuth, when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of January. During this month, it will be our privilege to send this book to forty or 50,000 people around the world. It's a wonderful seed that we're sowing in the hearts of so many people, a reminder that God is in control, that He is sovereign, Nothing catches him off guard. Did you know that God never has a bad day? God is always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And this book so wonderfully tells the story of heaven ruling in every life on this earth, including yours. It's our wonderful gift for those of you who can make an investment in Turning Point during the month of January. It's 260 pages, hardback, beautiful gift-sized book need this in your library and you need it in your life. Please ask for it when you send your gift today. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. Will you update us on this ministry's impact on your life? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Heaven Rules by Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth and learn to find comfort and courage in this chaotic world. The book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue God Loves You, He Always Has, He Always Will here on Turning Point. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Keith Green was a contemporary Christian songwriter who died at age 28 in a plane crash. He is remembered for his fervent commitment to evangelism. He once made this statement, 
This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls on the earth. A simple observation, but very true. God doesn't hold us responsible for past generations or future generations, but He does hold us responsible for being a living testimony of Christ to this present generation. That includes our family, our co-workers, our neighbors, and any other members of this generation we may meet. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's desires for this generation on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.